0: 8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada.
1: And the viewpoint, it certainly is. I think there's been the issues of uh, the uh, people dying in this car crash this morning, really sad, and the plane crash in Midrand. And the one issue that's been consistent all throughout the day of what's going to happen to and Tlan Nene, we'll see about that. We're not going to talk about it, We'll we'll see what happens as the day's progress. And, of course, the denials from the ANC about a meeting to actually uh, discuss what happened with another meeting that was there ostensibly to uh, strike up a plan to oust the incumbent. All that has been denied. Just making those points, those are things that we need to consider. What we'll talk about today, however, uh, three things that are really important. The the big picture, which starts now, we'll chat to Patrick Craven, rather the big hitter, is our big hitter for the night, uh, the spokesperson, acting spokesperson for SAFTU, the South African Federation of Trade Unions. We will have, uh, as our big picture story, we'll talk about, well, a very topical issue To too white to be black, too black to be white, the issue of the colours and whether they've actually been shortchanged in the democratic South Africa. We'll chat to two or three guests, including Daryl James, amongst uh, them. And then we talk uh, innovation and just trying to get and develop your mind uh, to to think innovation is something even the country needs. Douglas Kruger will talk to us about uh, that. So Patrick Craven is with us. Patrick, I did tell you off the air it's rather difficult thinking about you as the spokesperson of anything else than Kosatu. And I'm not going to spend one hour talking about Kosatu. Let me just assure you or reassure you. But, but how long were you with Kosatu? With I uh, started in 2000 and
2: left in 2015. So it's quite a long time, actually. And uh, I briefly worked uh, for NUMSA. And then when SAFTU was formed... I uh, moved to there to do basically the same job that I'd been doing
1: at Kosatu. So it's incredible. So 15 years with Kosatu in particular. Yes. Right, yeah. And and now with, with, with Shaftu, you're, you're officially the acting spokesperson. Yes. Right? Uh, how, how long is that going to continue? Acting to become permanent or acting as in acting and then let someone well, else Oh, we take should just her. have to see. I, I don't want to
2: anticipate that.
1: <laughs> you're, you're okay. Well, that, that's a very diplomatic answer. What, what's it like? I mean, just, just so far, uh, being the spokesperson of, and I want to use the word now, almost like a challenger brand in terms of where you were at that stage. Kosatu for long period was the, the preeminent force in, in terms of labor unions. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, not that you are minnows, right? But but it, it's still a fairly new uh, umbrella body trying to find its feet, clearly.
3: Mm.
2: I would say that uh, I haven't changed my views as much as I think Kosatu has. Kosatu in its early days was a very uh, militant, very active and uh, generally quite a democratic organisation, which uh, it still was when I joined. And so the sort of statements I would be putting out or um, the articles and statements that I'd be uh, drafting would be uh, very similar in many ways to what I'm doing now. I think it's that Kasatu has uh, gone backwards. Particularly, I think, uh, its long relationship with the ANC which in the early days was absolutely understandable Mm -hmm. the ANC was seen as uh, a revolutionary liberation movement and it would be quite natural that workers would want to align themselves particularly of course back in the 80s when we still had apartheid but unfortunately today and well just last week we had a very good example of Casato we believe simply uh, Succumbing to the pressure of government and business to sign uh, a statement arising out of the job summit, mm-hmm. which really we believe will do absolutely nothing for the workers. It won't create jobs, it won't revive the economy, precisely because it's a statement basically drafted by the people who we believe are the cause. Of the high unemployment. No, no, let, let's let's
1: stay with it. I know when I'd spoken to as well and Zimavavi, your your general secretary. Uh, last week, he was very clear about that. Certainly, your organisation does not support. Actually, will not even attend the, the the job summit because of a late first a decline, then a late invitation, etc. Right. Uh, what, what for you came out of the summit? Uh, particular points that you are a in agreement or b not in agreement with. Uh, bullet points that you'd like to bring up. The main problem
2: was that it didn't have any really new proposals. If you look back to previous jobs summit, Mm -hmm. it produced very similar uh, statements. They also said that it's, it's very important to monitor them, to see that the things that have been agreed are actually done. And of course they weren't. And we believe the same will happen. What particularly if there's one thing that struck out in my mind, that huge sums of money were being talked about which over the next few years will be invested in this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. There were over 70 different projects, um, which I couldn't possibly go through. But where the money was going to come from was very unclear. Mm -hmm. Uh, It almost, to me, read like one of these charity auctions, you know, where the government is appealing now.
1: And, and which co- just, which just company pledges. will give
2: us the biggest? And on the <laughs> night you get emotional
1: this. and you just yeah. try and outbid each other, is that right? Yeah,
2: um, there's no guarantee that any of that money will actually come through for the simple reason that the business organisations that were represented at the summit are uh, under extreme pressure as well because of the economic crisis. And uh, their priority, as always, is maximising their profits. And therefore, the idea that you can just assume that because a resolution was passed at a summit in 2018, that two or three years down the road, they'll still be fair to... So keep what, what do you think will happen?
1: You, you think nothing will happen if, we, if you and I spoke a year from now about the job summit? We'll, we'll just be laughing. Well,
2: unfortunately, on. unless something different is done, we'll be in exactly the same position or even worse in a few years' time because we, we often use the term business as usual mm. to describe the kind of agreement which is reached at the job, job summit. It assumes that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with business, who are, after all, the main employers, um, whereas, in fact, it's they who've been retrenching workers. It's they who've been refusing to recruit unemployed graduates because they haven't got any work experience. Uh, it's they who are closing down mines, Uh, that isn't suddenly going to change because their policies are dictated by the market where the uh, profits can be made and where they can't be made. And that's the fundamental problem. We have to have a a break with that system, which is based simply, whether we like it or not, but by the the very nature of the capitalist system, profits rule. And... uh,
1: these days mm. it's even all computerised so so would you do you agree with the principle of a job summit meaning not so much this job summit you don't you don't agree with it, you don't attend but but the, the the broad concept of having a job summit to achieve what I would think would be the obvious aim to try and get as many people in our country employed no we would uh,
2: certainly welcome any genuine opportunity but first of all it would need to be far broader because it wasn't only SAFTA that wasn't represented and we were only invited, by the way, as observers. I think people forget that.
1: that that's the point that Bobby made. That yeah, effectively, We, that couldn't, we couldn't have actually
2: got to the rostrum yeah. mm. uh, and uh, got some good publicity from making a speech. Mm. Mm. Um, but there are many, many people in South Africa who would have felt completely unrepresented. A good example at the moment is all the angry protesters in Westbury, in uh, Bonte in Cape Town, and all these other areas who are getting more and more frustrated. And unemployment is a key Reason for that, although there are specific issues around drugs and Mm -hmm. gangsters Mm -hmm. and so on, uh, it's inevitable when you have so many people out of work and therefore largely in poverty that you will tend to get protests. They're informal traders. I mean, very often when in studios like this I have debates with business people, they say, well, the priority is to build small business if you want employment. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that many times. And yet we believe that the biggest problem facing small businesses
1: is big businesses who actually uh, price them out of the market Do you, you think that is the big problem but but again going back to the original point isn't it and I was about to use the word monopolistic. Uh, or a capitalist system, and then I said, holy, let me use a nice word because you're going to knock it down anyway, right? Isn't it the nature of business that, that nobody, uh, you know, I, I think you come from a Scottish background, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, if, if you were there, you know, Glasgow Celtic, and I'm using a football example, Glasgow Celtic and Glasgow Rangers would never have said, let, let, let the other clubs, the, the Aberdeens or the Parkwick Thistles or whatever, <laughs> let's give them a chance. It is the nature of, of, of what we do to be the very best and therefore to control yeah. things. Well, to
2: use your analogy, <laughs> surely the answer is that uh, our economic future is not a game. <laughs> At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter which football team wins, but it does if uh, small businesses are trying to uh, get their products into pick and pay and Woolworths and checkers. So, so let, and they're excluded the because big- of the, the yeah. owners. Well, I wouldn't. That is one of the problems. But also a point which is often missed, particularly by people like the Free Market Foundation that uh, monopolization is uh, integral to capitalism. It isn't a a mistake, a detour. I mean, more than 150 years ago, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels incredibly analyzed precisely that point. They say there is an inevitable tendency, once one company gets a dominant position in the market, to uh, exclude any competition. Of course, in those days, there was still international Mm -hmm. competition. But even that is now disappearing because many of the big companies operating in South Africa are not South African. They're based in uh, America, Mm -hmm. Europe, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. now increasingly Mm -hmm. in China. Um, And so for a small independent South African company to compete is very, very difficult. And so um, the government ought to have well, I say the government, NEDLAC, on behalf of government, ought to have invited small businesses as well, informal traders, who are often not only uh, discriminated against economically, but actually physically thrown off the streets and their goods confiscated. I was
1: reading something, and I, I stand to be corrected, I saw that, I picked it up from somewhere, saying that, and I think from South Korea, so the facts may be slightly wrong, but the gist of it is that in South Korea, they would incentivize... these entrepreneurs, these small businesses and bigger ones that to employ people and get massive, massive, you know, rebates in terms of employing them because ultimately they wanted them to be employed no matter what. Yeah, there are other examples. One,
2: years ago now, I was talking to um, somebody from the International Monetary Fund Mm -hmm. who clearly was not a sort of communist revolutionary (laughs) at all. And I raised this question about monopolization, particularly in the retail industry because I've often made the point that when there's a new shopping mall opening, mm. you can predict in advance which shops will be there. Yeah, yeah. And he said he was to just come back from Thailand, and he said in Bangkok there is an example of the very opposite, a huge market consisting entirely of small stalls where farmers bring their goods. And interesting, much more recently, in fact, just a few months ago, there was a picture in one of the papers of this market and it was incredible. It's about the size of four football pitches. And you could see it, it was just hundreds of little yeah, stalls. Wow. We don't have anything like that here because we're so monopolized. Uh, I'm careful not to say that that is the solution because I think that would be wrong. There are certain parts of the economy which uh, are better run as monopolies. But what we say as, as have to is that they should be nationalized and run democratically as public monopolies. I mean, Eskom is a very good example. It's so essential, both to individuals and to the rest of the, the of businesses, that uh,
1: privatising would be a disaster. Okay, more more to come from uh, Patrick Craven. The Acting spokesperson of South the South African Federation of Trade Unions. In fact, you can engage with him as well. Of course, you can. 089-1104-207. 089 1104207 That's the call in. If you're SMSing four zero nine three eight, and if you are tweeting, you can uh, well you can tweet using the hashtag SFM viewpoint, and then you tag me Ashraf Ghani as well as uh, SAFM Radio. Uh, here's a question: How can a spokesperson tell how the workers be dismissed, but he's not? tested. Okay, I'm really not clear where that's going. It's just very, very confusing with the with the short end of SMS. My apologies for that, but if you if you post it clearer, I'll be able to pick it up. Otherwise, it's just not very, very clear indeed. Let, let's talk then about the about the aims of, of, of SAF2 in terms of we, we all know about where you come from in well and Zimavavu. I think it's been well documented, but, but why does saf exist? To do what? Well, a lot of the things
2: we were doing is precisely what Casato used to do. Um some of our biggest affiliates were Cassato Unions and they haven't fundamentally changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also, uh, where I think we differ is that we're making a big attempt to try to organize the unorganized workers. We had uh, what we called a working class summit, Mm -hmm. which as well as our affiliated unions, we had a huge range of uh, community groups, informal traders, NGOs, uh, specific special interest groups, uh, immigrant workers, which was very encouraging because the proportion of workers in trade unions has been steadily falling. And it's now only about 24%. And why, why, why is that the case? Well, the, obviously the main reason is the level of unemployment. That's if they're not employed, they wouldn't be working Plus, there. they can't Even amongst the employed, more and more jobs have been uh, casualized or handed out to labor brokers. And it's far more difficult for those workers to get organised, although it is starting to happen and that we want to get very involved
1: in that. Would you would you be in a situation where you use the word organised, the unorganised, would you then be in a position where you would uh, get unemployed workers, people not only have lost their jobs this week, but unemployed, even for months on end, to still register with your union? I mean, is is there a scope to... to do, how would they pay? What would you represent them on when they actually don't have a job? Well, we would... Uh, most of them
2: probably wouldn't be able to pay, so mm. they wouldn't be workers in the traditional sense. But that doesn't mean to say we can't work with them on uh, taking up grievances, uh, campaigning on issues which they're campaigning on. And it's starting already. We were involved, for instance, in Cape Town in the um, total shutdown campaign, uh, obviously not trying to dictate to the workers, but showing that uh, we're part of their, their cause because after all, workers aren't only workers when they're at work. They're workers when they go home as well. And if there are community problems, we
1: should. Well, now, we'll pick out about maybe some of the changes that may or may not occur in the in this relationship between unions and uh, and employers, or big business in this case, yeah, or small business. Felix from Pumalanga, go ahead, hi.
0: Good evening, Nasha. Thank you
1: for taking my call. Thank course. you, thank you.
0: Oh, yes, I I like what you said about the job summit, but uh, probably they will never create job with the job summit. Uh, which is true. Actually, a summit is about talking. Uh, you talk, you talk, you talk, it's fine. But the good thing is that you have to keep talking until you realize how foolish it is to keep talking. Uh, it's it's uh, For example, a hungry man talks about food. Okay, fine. He must keep talking about food until he realizes that it's just foolish talking about food. If you are hungry, you get food and you eat food. That's exactly what is going on with summits. For summit, you talk. When we are all tired of talking, we will see the foolishness, the stupidity of just talking, and we will start creating jobs. And for us to be able to create, we need to be skilled, to be schooled, so that we, they can, we can unleash our creative potential. And that is what really matters. That's why I said before, you cannot expropriate wealth. You can only create it. Those who are wealthy, they created that wealth. So the populace must be learned, must be tutored, must be tutored in creating
1: wealth. That's where the problem is. Okay, you can only create wealth. Got that. Thanks for that call, Felix. Uh, Patrick, respond to that? Yes, you're absolutely
2: right. But let's never forget, it is the workers who actually create wealth, not the people who uh, sit in boardrooms of companies, but the workers, all of them, the uh, the cleaners, the gardeners, right up to the uh, IT uh, Mm. experts and the designers and uh, people like that. And... uh, in any nationalized or socialist enterprise, they would all still be there. In fact, they would have an even more important role to play. The people who get incredibly rich are usually the people who uh, manipulate the finances of a company, rather than the people who actually create Mm. the wealth. Mm -hmm. And we should never forget that. Because you're quite right, of course. Uh, You do have to create wealth. But uh, if workers are in charge of an industry, that doesn't mean wealth won't be created. They will, in fact, have an even bigger incentive to create wealth through their labor because then they will get the full benefit of that but, 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 as
1: but, workers. But part of the paradigm, and I, and I think you write about, you know, workers, I mean, we, we look at, you know, even a, a broadcast center like the SABC, they are they are all important cogs right across the board that plays a role yeah. in terms of what goes on on the air, right? Uh, some are known and others are not. But there's also a... a A thought, and it certainly comes from union people like yourself, that when we say workers create the wealth, it's almost like like employers do nothing. And and you also know that the same caller made the point about about thinking differently. Um, And we're starting a feature today, in fact, about innovation, because innovative ideas, there's a value attached to innovation. Yes, and certainly we don't want to get rid of innovators.
2: Um, but it, I it, it may
1: appear you're doing nothing because you're sitting with your legs up and you're innovating. <laughs> you, know, you get my point. Uh, no. Are we not Are we not being unfair by not giving them the credit for innovating?
2: Well, when you say we don't give them the credit, I think it's their employers who don't give them the credit. Uh, an innovator, a creative worker is still a worker. And generally, they're not the people who get the uh, incredibly high salaries. It's usually the chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, officer and people at that level who are not involved in the day-to-day work whether it's innovative
1: creative or just but but having said that sometimes the innovator would be someone who who conceptualizes a company from scratch
2: yeah well we would still innovate
1: they would still need to be employed
2: but uh not employed where they are in charge and they can exploit all the other workers they would be a worker like all the others skilled and uh, we wouldn't be against uh, some reward for that. We're not saying, at least in the early stages of a development towards mm. socialism, that everyone could get exactly the same wage. But uh, the idea which socialists have always uh, argued is that uh, we have the potential now to create a society of superabundance. Now, years ago, even in my life, I can remember when people dismissed that as completely utopian. But it's strange that very recently with this so-called fourth in- industrial revolution, mm, mm, mm. it's becoming quite clear that we can now produce more cars than we could possibly need, uh, more food than we could possibly need. Um, but far from being seen as a great step forward, which it ought to be, it's seen as a disaster because jobs will be lost. But if you can create all these things with fewer workers, then the workers ought to be the main beneficiaries of that. Uh, Employers love to talk about productivity, and yet sometimes they are the least productive because they are slow to... uh, use these new
1: technologies because they aren't prepared so to pay a proportionate you, increase to I, the workers. So are you, would you be concerned about that industrial fourth industrial revolution? In fact, over supper tonight, we spoke about, uh, and we were looking at practical examples of uh, uh, you know the, the, this whole new age and everything is just automated and, and artificial intelligence and testing those things out. Are, are you concerned that millions of people in our country employed will lose their jobs primarily because of that? Or in fact, do you see Absolute hope that in the abundance, there'll, there'll be new avenues of, of employment created for them. Yeah, we're extremely concerned
2: that that is how the fourth industrial revolution is going to affect people in the short run. But I'm even more concerned, if anything, that uh, nobody can see the uh, potential benefits from that, um, which would, could benefit everybody, including the workers, Workers wouldn't have to work every day of the week if you could produce something in one day, which means they would have more time to enjoy life. But that won't happen now because the small group of employers are still in charge and they want to keep all this extra wealth to themselves. But even that won't happen because ironically, and this is again a point that Karl Marx made, um, if you can produce things almost automatically by pressing buttons... You don't create any extra value. Profits will actually fall down. And so it don't even benefit Mm. the owners ultimately. We have to have a completely different kind of society in which uh, the wealth that is being created
1: in greater and greater amounts is then shared amongst all the people. And more time to play golf and do other things as well. And it's all seen as accepted as opposed to what happens today, working six days a week in the name of slogging away, isn't it? Claudia on the line from Van Park. Go ahead. Hi, Claudie.
0: Uh good good evening. Sir. Yeah, good talking I, to you. What's I, your I just, what's your
3: viewpoint? I just I to talk Peter Graven. I've been working for a Labour photographer but now for nearly thirteen years. And signing a thirty days contract every month, signing contract for thirteen years now with for a Labour group. So I had about a case that were the Numsa went through could, uh, the because we are not unionized. What must we do? What is it that they can for us? Because we are not unionized.
1: Okay, just just hold it on. I just want to make sure, Patrick, don't go away. Did you get it? It's not very clear, the line. Did you get the gist of what was I that? did, yes, yes. Okay. All right, Lali, we'll, we'll answer it, and you can, you can put your phone down now. Thanks for calling in, all right? Thanks. Thank you very much. There you are. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm very glad you raised that point, because it's
2: precisely the kind of issue I was talking about earlier. How do we organize... The unorganized and most labor broker workers are because of the very nature of that work. Mm. They could be working in one place one week and then some are completely different with completely different people the following week. Um, that's why the government was forced to make some concessions to say you can't be in that situation for more than three months but already we see employers are getting around that (laughs) by uh, by releasing
1: them in two uh, months and three weeks and
2: their contract. The the client company will end their contract with the labor broker at the end of three months and then take on a completely different set of workers. We want it abolished altogether, but in the meantime, labor broker workers have absolutely the same right to form a union as any other workers. And in some cases, this is starting to happen. And, uh, it's something which we want to encourage. It's not easy. But uh, let me reassure you that if any employer, whether it be a labor broker or the client company that you're actually working for, says you can't join a union, you can take them to the CCMA. Uh, if necessary, take them to court because the right to join a trade union is enshrined in the Constitution and nobody can be denied that right. But to help, if you could contact um, a SAFTU union, um I don't know where you are, so I can't suggest mm-hmm. precisely, but uh, you can go to our website, which is, uh, has got a list of all the provincial addresses and so on, and all the affiliated unions, and uh, I'm, I promise they will uh, come
1: and help you. Okay, well, that caller was from Van der Park, by the way, so in the Valle right. Val region, okay. Uh, just by the way, let's just confirm this, how many, uh, because somebody asked it again, how many people of the total number employed are unionized? as a percentage? 24%. So, so three quarters of, of employed people are, are not unionized. Yes. Yeah. How, how does that measure with the rest of the world? Unfortunately, it's, it's fairly typical. Uh, There's been a, a trend
2: throughout the world for um, unions to uh, get smaller. And it's partly because I think, as I mentioned with uh, kasatu uh, a lot of the traditional unions tend to stick to their traditional base, mm-hmm. one particular industry. But that is changing, I think, around the world. There's, uh, at this moment, uh, there are strikes taking place in both America and the UK of uh, McDonald's workers who in, have been very difficult to organize, but uh, they've now started, and it's it's spreading. And I think it will spread to other places like that. Which traditionally have been uh, very badly organised, and uh, strangely enough,
1: will uh, it often happens without being started by a trade union. Is, is it is it also not the case that that yes, maybe employers may discourage workers to be unionised on the one hand, but on the other hand, workers. Don't join unions because they just don't see the benefit. That is why it is as low as twenty-five percent. What I'm saying, when you when you when you spot something that's so obviously beneficial for you, people queue up in numbers mm. to go. Is it not that case that they don't see the benefit?
2: No, in many cases they are queuing up. Um, we're very pleased at that. Right, if things are going reasonably well, you may well be right that people will say, "Well, why should I spend money every month uh, paying dues to a union?" Mm. But uh, for most workers these days, things are not going well. There are constant threats of jobs being lost, pressure to uh, either cut wages or cut hours, or the one we've been talking about, to uh, outsource those workers to somebody else. There's uh, another example at the moment of uh, a number of companies uh, which MTM outsource workers mm, to. Mm, mm. They may not be officially called labour brokers, but that's in reality what they are doing. MTM has now got financial problems, which I'm sure you know about. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they're doing is uh, refusing to renew the contract with these uh, companies. So, strictly speaking, they're not retrenching any workers. But they're forcing all these companies that they gave work to to retrench their workers uh, and they are now getting organized and uh, we hope are
1: going to have a big struggle and win that fight okay we'll see where that goes let's get to let's get further calls now eddie from cape town welcome to the show you're on the air so give me your viewpoint
4: Good
1: thank you i most most appreciate it well listen we want to set high standards across the country we should all do that right we know that <laughs>
4: Yeah, you're one of the best. So yeah, okay. uh, Mr. Craven, I think um, first, first thing, first. I think, uh, Mr. Craven, Vavi, and Jim, the and them um, um, have always been consistent in what they say, and 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 I appreciate that authenticity that they have, where they have always been consistent. But my questions are, um, why don't? You, because I'm thinking they they actually backing at the wrong tree at the moment because. You know, when you work with the Germans, for example, I will talk about Germans that I, I've worked with a lot. The the unions are part of the board. And so mm-hmm. basically they know how the financials are looking like. So when, when the company says we have no money for increases, the, the union leaders know because they can see that. So why don't they go that route? That's my first question. My second question is, um, are the unions not really reached a point of where they, they are coming to the end. Why am I saying that, Ashraf? You know, uh, um, these universities and, and, and the municipalities have been having temporary workers. Then we have the students in 2015 standing up and saying, end this. And quickly, before six months or seven months, those mm. workers were permanent. Yet, the unions have been there for donkeys and they have never changed that. So so, so your so point is
1: what, they're yeah. losing their, their impact? Is that what you're saying?
4: They, they don't have any impact the unions at the moment because society is actually, for example, us if an employee faces racism at work, the unions will stall, will 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 try and work their funny magic, and then and, and all of that. But society has got Twitter and this. Within a second or two, the the employee, the employed or is paid out, and so on. so. I think they, I'm, I'm asking Mr. Kriven, do they think the unions still have? Uh, say or, or there are days in the sun. So and finally, um, um, basically, what I'm trying to say is, do 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 Kosatu um, uh, and them not work hand in hand, and 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 where they're gonna get to a point where they will get back because. The reason why our school system is shambles, Ashraf, is mm-hmm. driving and, and the Vavien were there when Satu, because Satu is actually a devil that they, they're refusing to, to, to actually acknowledge. So that's my question. How are they trying to resolve that? Satu is
1: the devil they're refusing to acknowledge. Okay, just y- y- yes, stay, stay, yeah. stay on the line, right, Eddie? Stay yeah. on the line. Uh, I may just ask you a follow-up question on that one. Patrick, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Eddie,
2: you've raised a number of very important questions. First of all, The point you made early on about uh, union leaders should find out more about the financial position. A very old trade union uh, slogan was open the books. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see that even the job summit, uh, if in fact they actually do what they say, has said that uh, something should be done to open up the books, to uh, reveal the differentials between the top and the bottom levels, which, if it's done, will be useful, but I suspect they'll find some way... Is, isn't the normal? They
1: opened that. up the books to show you liquidity, or the lack of, and therefore we can't afford to give you a 10% increase, we can only give you 5%.
2: Yes, and when, if, if the books show that that is not true, then obviously the union have a much stronger case, more difficult. But the main point you raised is one which is very similar to what I was saying. Yes, traditional unions have failed to get involved in struggles like the one at the universities. But uh, SAFTU is determined to turn the tide, and we've had some successes. There was a strike very recently, just round the corner from here, at some student residences. And I think the company that owns them had a similar strike in uh, Port Elizabeth and Cape Town, in which uh, students, trade unions, the residents of the uh of the, of the place, all worked together and actually won a victory. They actually forced okay, the management you are. to make all right, some... Eddie,
1: Eddie, you're fine with that, right? Eddie?
2: I'm, I'm fine with that, yes.
4: I'm fine with that, Ashraf. But my my issue is um, I, I think the, the unions need to, to change some paradigm, have a paradigm shift and stop being the traditional 1990s or 80s unions. Try to... To harness the power of society and have maybe fewer people in the echelons of the of the of the union who are called leaders and rather disperse and use society harness that as i, as I gave you an example that they have been there fighting uh, uh labor brokers and, this, and they're not winning but the students quickly stood up and they won so i think traditionally so um, just, just as a follow-up I should have on my start to issue i'm not i'm not saying teachers must not have uh, uh, um unions but SATU has been uh, a belligerent and very uh, quarrelsome and our teachers are some of the, the people in the world that can't teach so maybe half of our teachers i'm putting my head on the block here okay
1: some of right. can we can we leave can it teach, at that but, but, yeah. but
4: SATU refuses to let the teachers go for upgrades or go for skills, upgrades, okay. and all of these things. So for me, that is an that's issue. That's your big issue. all right. SATU represents teachers that teach black kids, and that's where the problem is. We but I, I don't know. You see, now now, you, now there's
1: a lot of sweeping. Are, if SATU refuses to represent teachers that teaches black kids. I'm really not. You know, we had the SATU guys on the other day, by the way, and we maybe need to get that. I'm not sure whether you can answer any of that, Patrick.
2: Well, I, I certainly don't want to speak on behalf of SATU because obviously I'm not aware of their Mm. specific problems. But uh, I would say that, in general, when employers start attacking a union in the way that SAD2 has uh, been attacked, uh, your immediate suspicion is that this is just an attempt to try to... uh, Worsen the conditions of those uh, workers, and teachers do work in appalling conditions, particularly in the state schools, many of which are hopelessly underfunded, under underresourced, uh, overcrowded uh, classes, and uh, it would be unfair
1: to to blame the teachers for all these problems. Well, we, we, it's something I've, I've just Ben's talking to me. My producer's like, hold it, let let's get let's get to, to respond to that. Uh, maybe not today, but but certainly sometime soon. Uh, right, I think we have another call. Sig on the line. Hi, Sig.
3: Hello Asha, I wanted to tell Patrick Craven that workers are not alone in creating wealth. Uh, They uh, are just an instrument in creation of wealth. Uh, They can't can't do that uh, when workers replace them, uh, when employers replace them with machines, uh, which which is happening to an ever increasing extent. Uh, One of our our, our other callers uh, from Newlands uh, uh, keeps reminding us that that he had a. Quite a biggish company of 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 hundred and forty or more workers yeah. which which uh, uh, he ultimately had to give up because of the unions because they made life so difficult for him and 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 uh, uh, we have unions which are overpowered in this country uh, uh, uh they do not they are not able to create wealth with the employers they need investment to create wealth with with uh, okay
1: uh, so let's they, let, let's get a you response on to create
3: wealth as a worker without investment and we're driving out investment okay. Th-
1: thanks We're for that it. It out but you see even with investment you still need workers to actually let's say if you're talking machines with all the money in the world if nobody can nobody has a machine to and operate the machine while well, you don't have the worker you still have a problem so there's just something there to consider but respond on that uh, Patrick yes uh, you've already answered the <laughs>
2: to some extent um, so the idea that unions are becoming too powerful is really I'm afraid I think it's laughable. Uh, if you'd been listening even to this discussion tonight, mm. you'd have heard the statistics of uh, union membership declining, uh, more and more workers being uh, treated uh, badly by being uh, handed out to labour brokers, outsourced and so on. In many ways, the trade union movement has never been weaker than it is. Clearly, the employers are in the driving seat, and that's what we in SAFTU are determined to change. On the question of uh, of wealth... That is the point I was making earlier about the fourth industrial revolution. In the old days, one of the main arguments against people like me was that uh, productivity is too low, that uh, workers don't produce enough in the time that they're working. Now things have gone completely the opposite and workers, as you say, can produce far more in f- far less time because of automation mm. and they're, they're made then to pay the price by losing their job by, by losing their there's job, something so. very wrong but, there
1: but, but here's the thought uh, is it not time for for unions to rethink how, how they run their businesses and I'm going to use the word businesses deliberately so uh, meaning if we look at the the examples of of the Ubers and the Airbnbs and uh, you know Sweep South and and all these companies where they're using digital technology to change the way we 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 run our world, okay, isn't there scope for unions then to just rethink the paradigm? And I don't have the answers. The relationship between union and workers and um, and employees. What I'm saying isn't there scope to still unionize but to turn that relationship on its head? Yes.
2: Uh, we're determined to uh, reach into all these sections of the other workforce. Because uh, even the people you're talking about, the highly technical, very Mm. qualified people, even they're often now struggling. Precisely their own skills enable the company to uh, use fewer workers. And so the the very people who've uh, introduced and operated the new systems which do this, find that their jobs are at risk. This is a crazy system. Uh, that's why we're in favor of public ownership, which unfortunately in the past in many countries hasn't solved problems. Uh, And indeed today we see with ESCOM and SAA Mm. and Mm DNL and so on, it isn't. But that's, we believe, is precisely because they're being run in exactly the same way as if they were private companies. They have the same logic that... uh, workers must lose their jobs in order to maintain the uh, Let, they, if they don't call it the profit, they call
1: it their viability. We, uh, we are wow. chatting, our big hitter is uh, Patrick Craven the unmistakable voice, because I am saying Patrick I think you're one of the most <laughs> distinct voices in the country, the, this, and has, has always been, okay, uh, of course he's the acting spokesperson for SATU, the South African Democratic Teachers Union uh, did I say? No, that's the union in <laughs> my mind somewhere else that's now. That's your course, next but, program. <laughs> well there you are we will talk about SATU, Esper well, that call earlier on, no, SATU okay? Okay, the South African Federation of Trade Unions and uh, maybe time for one or two more callers 891 104207 and if you're tweeting it's hashtag sfm viewpoint sms is as always 4093840938 I certainly want to get to get the the saftu view in terms of uh, party politics and the big election coming up next year
0: call Ashraf now 0891104207
1: Patrick Craven, with me from, uh, from SAF2, South African Federation of Trade Unions. Let, let's talk about, about politics in terms of where we are. So, when you were with Kasatu, completely for a long, long period, aligned to the ANC, right? Yes, to the ANC and the
2: SACP. Yeah. And uh, that was, we believe, one of the main reasons why they declined. Because those two organizations, both in our view, degenerated. Their leaders, in the case of the ANC, nearly all ended up in government. And a, a growing number of SACP leaders as well. Yeah, well when you, when in,
1: did, you, did you always? Feel, I mean, when you were there as Kosatu, uh, did, did you see that as well? There were, there were benefits for Kosatu because you had some clout with people in government, but also in the long term, it would also cause the decline of the, of, of the yeah. movement. There were benefits for a, a relatively
2: small number of top officials mm-hmm. who uh, got these jobs, but it certainly didn't benefit the uh, the workers and we've seen now that uh, the very same ANC ministers and SACP ministers are very often the the main problem facing mm-hmm. workers and um, so that is that is why saftu took a decision at its founding conference that it would be independent of any political party or any private company so is that well. now
1: not just opinion that's that's your constitution that's your that, that's a that key we policy will be independent
2: but in the same constitution, we said that th- that does not mean we are apolitical. We can still issue statements which will uh, express our view on political issues because most political issues affect workers in one
1: way or another. Okay. In terms of that independence, right? So, so you would not have an alliance as you had uh, via by the Kosatu alliance that we spoke about. But but would you be in a position as Saftu to, to say uh, we're not in alliance with any of the political parties, but... We recommend that you vote for this party during the election. Would you go so far as
2: that? I don't know if we go as far as recommending, but we could certainly still say, well, we agree with what this party is saying. We disagree with that po- what party is saying. That's what I mean by not being apolitical. On, on, a, on a policy we, by policy. We not not have a view at all. But what we certainly don't want to do is to uh, be obliged to support a particular party at an election. Uh, we want to uh, attract workers who support all different parties or no party at all. And they won't do that if they think that yet again we've made the mistake of um, tying ourselves
1: inextricably to any one political party. Okay. Do, do you think that is now unworkable in South Africa? Not just for SAFTU but but the whole concept of political parties and alliances, especially especially trade unions. You know, mo- political parties have alliances, coalitions are a form of that anyway, right? But especially trade unions, ideas of a trade union in alliance with government, the the ultimate employer, in effect.
2: Yeah, it's very, very dangerous. And uh, it's one of the main reasons why we have some of the problems we have in the ANC today. And, of course, the ANC itself is now uh, in, in a crisis precisely because of that problem, made even worse, of course, by the fact that many of those people who went into government then became corrupt Um, which added to the problem. Um, But even those who maybe didn't become involved in corruption, they became involved in the machinery of government. And uh, inevitably, this meant coming under pressure of business. Mm. One thing that struck me instantly about uh, Nene, before he even made the dramatic revelation which is in the news, uh, when he was first asked about the meeting with the Guptas, he says, well, it's quite normal. For uh, a deputy minister of finance mm, to mm. have meetings with private businesses, and I thought, well, it's not normal to have meetings with workers. <laughs> it, just, it just showed that without thinking about it, uh, he showed the sort of pressure which even an honest, uncorrupt mm, mm. uh, minister will come under um, when the pressure is
1: on from business. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that, so, th- therefore, in terms of let's say the three do- the three largest parties. Can you tell me in terms of their policies things that you agree with or don't agree? Like, let's take the ANC now. It's very difficult these days to
2: know exactly what the ANC policy is because you'd have to ask which. But the biggest problem with the ANC in recent years is they'll very often take a policy which SAFTA would agree with but then do absolutely nothing to implement it. And uh, that is a huge problem because if we were to... uh, say, well, we're going to support the ANC because of what they said at their conference, Mm. and then they do nothing about it, our members will say, well, what are you doing? So that's
1: what they're getting wrong. They're not implementing their own policies.
2: That's the main policy. Well, not all the policies. Some of the policies we would say are wrong anyway. There are also differences between policies at their own conferences and policies by their ministers. We believe that successive finance ministers, for instance, have pursued economic policies which are at odds with uh, ANC conference resolutions, and nobody seems to notice this. It just...
1: Why, why do you think that that's been... Because that's been going on in your time, even through COSATU, right? Yeah. When, in fact, you guys were partners with government. Why do you think that's been the case? Well, it's not unusual. Trade
2: unions all over the world come under exactly the pressure. And uh, certainly, until recently, American trade unions, for instance, were uh, getting super rich, not because they had lots of members paying their dues, but because they had uh, all sorts of deals with their businesses um and with uh politicians uh what in America they call horse trading where you uh, mm-hmm. and and the unions got themselves involved in that uh in some of the worst cases uh unions were even involved with the mafia and uh criminal capitalists, as you might call them um and even in South Africa, it has to be said that uh very uh, sadly, some trade unions, mainly we would have to say Kasato unions, uh, have leaders who are facing charges of corruption. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, of course, does enormous damage because it's bad enough uh, to be politically uh, out of line with the workers' interests, but to actually, in effect, stealing workers' money by doing corrupt deals with uh, employers
1: is uh, the worst possible thing. What, what do you think? What do you think, Cosato, Sorry, Sa- I need to remind myself about Saf to right. What, <laughs> what is Saftu to getting right? Well, we think first of all, worker control. Uh, unions, we believe,
2: must be worker controlled. In the past, too many unions became sort of bureaucratized. You had a sort of hierarchy in which. Uh, the, uh, the leadership were able to manipulate the members uh, into ag- agreeing to their resolutions at the, uh, the Congress.
1: And then we'd say, well, now we have a mandate. We can go ahead with this. And your understanding of worker control, because I'm thinking about, you know, worker control through shops, towards, and then as you move out of the ladder, wouldn't there ultimately still be management of unions? Yes, you will still need a union leadership,
2: obviously, to carry out and implement the policies. But it must be based on a mandate, uh, Nomsa is very good at this, mm-hmm. although it, uh, it uh, always insists that decisions, for instance, a wage negotiation. Sometimes you'll see in the media that Nomsa hasn't yet said whether it's agreed to this offer or not. And the reason is very often because they're going back they're to all their back. members to get a mandate. And if the workers say no, then uh, it's not accepted. And that should become normal. Uh, officials, no matter how high, should always have to report back as to what the they are The downside,
1: and we're hoping to get Ivan Gemini one of the days as well, is that isn't that a bureaucratic nightmare? You've got like, whatever, fifty hundred thousand 100,000 workers under a you know certain union, and, and they need to refer to them all the time. No,
2: I think it's absolutely necessary. And uh, if they go the other direction, it'll cause an even worse nightmare. Because once a union becomes run entirely from the top workers as you mentioned earlier will start to say well, what's the point of paying my uh, dues to this union which doesn't take any notice of what i
1: think or what i want mm, mm, mm. what about so so is there is is the anc doing anything right
2: i would have to say unfortunately very little at the moment they um we obviously welcomed the uh investigation into uh, the inquiry into state capture but uh, we believe that uh, the ANC and indeed I would have to say a lot of other parties Mm. have made the mistake in thinking that this is a relatively small problem involving uh, a few families and a few cronies we believe it's much more widespread and you can see there's a whole lot of gray areas as we It's already starting to come out in the inquiry and this I think is going to leave the ANC in a very very vulnerable position because uh, Judge Zondo has already said he's going to insist that if government ministers don't volunteer to come to his uh, inquiry, he's going to uh, force them. So true. I think it's going to be much wider. And that, I think, is the key problem for the ANC. They just don't know how they're going to uh, handle this, particularly as some of the people who are likely to be involved in these hearings
1: are office bearers. On, on the basis of what you know, with uh, the Minister of Finance, should he, should he step down? I think he should. I think uh, there's a clear case. And uh, So some may say, and I'm not justifying it, but say, fine, he steps down. There are others who've been implicated already at a level far, far bigger, and, and, and they're still ministers. What, what does that say? Well,
2: all these investigations should long ago have been carried out by the NPA. Of course, we know that that's one of the organizations that uh, has suffered as well but uh, there must be no exceptions. I think it would be very, very dangerous to say, well, we'll go for this one, but we'll leave that one because he's not and quite And the capitalist so
1: may say, if he goes, goodness, it's going to cause a ripple in the Rand again. How do we save our Rand? He should stay.
2: Well, surely you're not saying we should prop up the Rand by ignoring <laughs> uh, uh, corruption.
1: Which so so be, you think right. his his? Uh, well, you've already said you think he should go. Is, is that the policy of, of software as well? Uh, I'm sure it is. I mean, it's only happened yesterday, mm. so... Uh,
2: Uh, And we've got a central committee coming up this weekend, so I can be more emphatic then. But um, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure this will be the view, because it's it's what we've said about other people who've been involved in alleged corruption. Of course, they've got the right to a fair trial, Mm -hmm. and they've got the right to be proved innocent. But uh, the irony is that in the workplace, if there are allegations against a worker, it's almost automatic that they're suspended pending uh, a disciplinary hearing. Why does that not apply at government level as well?
1: And in this case, you've had a finance minister who's uh, not necessarily found guilty. He's admitted. Yeah. He's admitted that I've actually visited him far more uh, than he's actually admitted publicly before, right? Yeah. And he was in a very, very responsible position. When he did that. We've got about two minutes to go, Patrick Craven. What for you then are, are the most pressing issues facing our country now? Maybe three key issues. Well, unemployment,
2: obviously. Poverty, although you can't really separate the two because one causes the other. Mm -hmm. Inequality, which, uh, as you know, we're the most unequal society in in the world. And uh, if you put unemployment and poverty together. Then the third, I think, would be the, this problem of uh, crime and gangsterism in poor communities, which is a huge, huge issue.
1: We're going to talk about that just now. In fact, would, would you like to say something about that? You know, so the discussion is that has the colored community been marginalized? Well, I think it's wrong
2: to talk as if it's just a problem with the so-called colored community. Uh, there are similar problems right across the, uh, the spectrum. And, and we can't ignore the fact that many earlier protests, which have become violent in many cases, were were not in colored uh, communities. It's a general problem of all poor communities. And that's, I think, the emphasis we have to okay. place
1: on it. L- last thought, your, your pronouncement on, on Ramaphosa. We were, from the start,
2: very skeptical about the the new dawn, mm. mainly because we looked at his record, which is he clearly for many years now, has been an integral part of big business. He's one of the richest. He was a director of Lonmin at the time of Marikana. And we said, can we seriously expect that he will be uh, fundamentally
1: different? And unfortunately, I think we're being proved right. And if not him, then who, you see? Bonang Mahali said that he's the best we've got a few days ago. (laughs) No, I certainly wouldn't like to
2: mention any names. In in any case, names are not the important thing. It's policies, and we want a fundamental shift towards, well, we would say socialist policies, which will uh, start to uh, use the wealth of this country, the enormous wealth of this country, for the benefit of the people of the
1: country. That's where we're going to leave it. Patrick Craven, thanks for your time. I I need to tell people as well. You need to buy the book as well, Patrick Craven, The Battle for Cousin, to an insider's view, which I think is a must read as well. And maybe we'll make reference to that some other time as well. A great chatting to you. And thanks for allowing us to get you in studio as our big hitter. Thank you. There we are. There we are. Lots of things coming out of that conversation. we we'll have a podcast up of that tomorrow morning around 9 o'clock. Check it out, safm.coza. So we will talk about the colored community and whether they've been marginalized in a democratic South Africa in a moment. Let's get the news. It's 9 o'clock.